Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryerme. In this episode, we're going to talk about the core sustainable and innovative military construction. With us today are Kathleen O'Neill, Dr. Chris Thompson, and Dr. Robert Mosher. Thank you all for joining us here today. Thank you very much. We're excited to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Great. So before we start talking about sustainable and innovative military construction, could you each tell us about yourself and your role with the Corps? Thanks. Hi, I'm Kathleen O'Neill. I work at headquarters USACE. I'm the chief of the Air Force DOD program integration branch in military programs. I've been in this job since 2017. Joined the Corps in 2007, working for USACE Norfolk District, constructing the Fort Belvoir Community Hospital and followed by a tour as the military design branch chief at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Baltimore District. Yeah, very good. Hey, I'm uh, Chris Thompson. I'm chief of our military engineering branch in our engineering and construction division at headquarters USACE. In that role, we do a, a lot of work to support the communities in the way we execute sustainable design. So we provide design guidance to the field. We, we do standards and criteria. We update and, and edit those documents for to establish baselines for what our designs uh, need to look like and need to achieve. And then we also um, work on our centers of standardization, which create standard processes for which we're going to develop standardized facility infrastructure that achieves um, sustainability goals. Uh, we're just a group of engineers and architects, and a lot of us are you know, really enthusiastic about a lot of things in engineering and architecture, but particularly uh, sustainability. All right, and I'm uh, Robert Moser. Uh, I'm the senior scientific technical manager. Uh, it's a kind of a unique position within ERDIC. So that's the engineer research and development center. And so you know, the Corps has its, its headquarters components. We have our districts. And so we're the R&D arm uh, of the Army Corps of Engineers. And so in my role, I sit in the geotechnical and structures laboratory, one of the organizations under ERDIC. But I really work across the ERDIC laboratories on program development and strategy in uh, mainly in materials, advanced manufacturing, and infrastructure. So, you know, we're partnering with the headquarters and partnering with the field on ways we can bring new technology, particularly lately on, on topics in sustainability and in, in construction into these projects. So thanks for the opportunity to participate today. Well, thank you all for joining us today. We're excited for this podcast. For our listeners that may not know what sustainable and innovative military construction is, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm happy to take that one. The sustainability really comes down to, to two basic things. You know, we're looking at the ways that we're, you know, addressing our infrastructure to prepare ourselves for future climate change and to mitigate um, future climate change. So what that really means is how we're going to become more resilient as an organization, how our facility infrastructure is going to be prepared to, you know, weather future, you know, increased in future storms, future flooding, um, heat other effects that might come from climate change. So how are we gonna prepare our infrastructure for that? And then how are we gonna build more sustainable design to consume less energy, to, to produce less carbon, not only in the, um, in the production of carbon on site, but also in the electricity that we import and the carbon that, that is produced because of the materials that we procure in our construction processes. You know, how do we reduce all those things so that we can reduce our total impact on future climate change? And that, that's really what sustainable design is. Thanks. That. That's re really interesting. And, and obviously we're here focused on military construction, you know, so I, when I think of the military aspect of it, you know, I think 
you may be army bases or military bases across the country or really across the world potentially. But I also think of like, you've got the army, the Navy, the air force, and I'm kind of curious, you know, how are leaders across the, the different services aligning to address climate change and how important is that to your success? So I, I can speak to that maybe quickly, Aaron, and then toss it to our, our colleagues here, Chris and Kathleen. You know, I think first and foremost, we have to think about what is the DOD's mission in, in this space to begin with. So we think about what, you know, what we're trying to do to for security and, and to, to fight and win in, in potential conflicts. But when we think of this space and in, in infrastructure and construction and facilities, the, the DOD is an infrastructure agency. And so I think a lot of the public, you know, they think of the Department of Transportation or uh, they know about the Corps of Engineers, of course, from our civil mission, you know, dams and hydropower facilities and things. Um, but when you look across the federal government, the DOD owns more facilities and infrastructure by far than every other federal agency. So we've got, you know, bases, hundreds of bases around the world, uh, installations. Uh, I think the current stats total across the, the services is around 500 plus thousand building structures, roughly 150,000 more infrastructure assets, like think of airfields and rail and bridges and all kinds of infrastructure on our installations that enables that mission. And within that, the Army is by far the biggest service component with that infrastructure. And so, you know, I think when you look across what the federal government is doing with, with buy clean and really using the buying power of federal investments in construction, you know, there's really a lot of opportunities here where we can lead the way in innovation to, to really have an impact across our mission. And so I'm really fortunate within the research and development role we have at ERDIC to look at all these new emerging technologies and how they could potentially impact in those projects. Um, and so, of course, we've been uh, working closely with the team at headquarters and supporting implementation of new cement chemistries and, and more recycled steel contents or even things like mass timber or other lower emissions building materials. There's a big component of that, as, as Chris said, it also has to deal with energy and how we can reduce operational emissions in those projects, another role that ERDIC is trying to bring a lot of new technologies to the fight. So we're, we're working with the Corps, we're working on implementing those into Army projects now and hopefully with updating criteria and specifications so that that impact carries long into the future. But of course, you know, from a technology perspective, technology cuts across all applications. And so ERDIC as an R&D organization is really a, a unique uh, organization in the federal government. And so we're also providing support to the Air Force. We're providing, providing support to the Navy uh, on these initiatives as well. Um, the other thing within the Corps as well is we also have this civil mission and there's a lot of commonalities across military and civil construction and so we're working there with materials as well and, and sustainability drivers for things like massive you know civil works mega projects. And then the other thing I think is good to highlight is you know we're not just doing this within the Department of the Army or the DOD. Every federal agency is full steam ahead and parallel on these initiatives and so that's a, a I would say a very challenging, but a very exciting uh, area for partnership because we're trying to see what can we leverage from all of these other agencies, all these other initiatives, even other investments around the world. You know, DOD is a global organization, so we're not just worried about what's, what's going on here in the US, um, but what is going on in Korea, what's going on in Japan, what's going on in Europe. Um, and so how do we react to trends there? Most, if not all of our installations or many of our installations are located in areas that are vulnerable to climate change on the coast. So it is really important that the Department of Defense 
uh, if we want to maintain those ranges and those training and those mission areas that we adapt and prepare for the future. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And not only is the, the, the size of the challenge so immense and so impressive to have half a million buildings we have to deal with across the department, but those buildings are really old. There's a lot of them that you know, a huge percentage of our inventory that dates back to World War II, and it's just incredible to think about the challenge in front of us. So when I think about, you know, how a leader, how leadership is going to align to address this problem, you know, I mean, you can, you can go back in history and find places where, you know, where leadership has really stood up and said, okay, you know, um, in the Energy Policy Act in 2005, we set some energy standards, and uh, Congress really got involved in the um, Energy Independence and Security Act, ESO 7, to set some standards back in the day. But, I mean, even today, really especially today, uh, the way leadership is aligning is very impressive and putting a lot on us and giving a lot, a lot of challenges for us. Like in 2022, there were um, the National Defense Authorization Act had several sections in it that were directly addressing climate change, flood risk management, master plans for military installations, energy efficient, you know, military installations, and then in particular, something I think we'll talk about today is our sustainable materials pilot project. So this, the way the Congress is setting up to, to lead us in this area is important, but even more than that, I think the, the President's Executive Order 14057, the Catalyzing Clean Energy Industries and Jobs Through Federal Sustainability Executive Order, that sets some incredible targets and it's some really, really challenging goals that, that we have to, you know, figure out how to get together on and, and figure out how to execute. And the DOD, they came together with their policy. They've got a climate adaptation plan that uh, is influencing all the other services and the Army's got its own um, Army climate strategy, which lays out a series of, of goals that are aligned with that executive order. And then I think internally, you know, we at headquarters, we've got to start writing our criteria so that it, that it fits the mold. So I'm asking our sustainability working group to go through and say, okay, how do we write the criteria so that it aligns with all these challenges that have been put in front of us so that we can address that huge volume of federal infrastructure that, that has to be addressed if we're going to deal with, you know, climate change in, in, the, in the way that we need to. So it, it's, a, it, it's a big challenge to see all this leadership align, but it clearly forming some battle lines now so that we can execute. I think, Chris, you, you make a really good point about the breadth of these different infrastructure assets around the world. And I think in these initiatives, we're trying to balance a lot of what you see in the news and these new initiatives. It's, it's new state-of-the-art materials. It's new energy paradigms. But we know that we're not going to rebuild everything, right? We can't afford to. And so a lot of this is going back and looking at you know, how can we do deep energy retrofits in those existing facilities to make them more efficient, right, and reduce operational emissions. When we think about fixed infrastructure, think of airfields and bridges and things like that, how can we extend the life of those assets? That's in strong alignment with asset management and reducing costs and improving performance and resilience. Um, but from a sustainability perspective, we're not replacing that with new infrastructure. We're making our infrastructure last longer. We're kind of stretching that embodied carbon over a longer life cycle in those projects as well. It seems like within the Corps of Engineers, we always partner with somebody and we cannot get anything done without our partners. Can you talk a little bit about how you're partnering with others to get after this work? Yeah, so we're always partnering with, um, with other services. It's really, really important that we get together with our Navy and Air Force partners here because they're doing the same things we're doing. They have the same needs that we have. And um, if we all work together, we, we don't have to do it three times. We can do it one time even more effectively. So it's very important. 
Um, one of the things that came out of the 2022 NDAA was uh, Section 2861, which is a pilot program to do three sustainable materials pilot projects, uh, one for each service, Army, Navy, and Air Force. So we've been working together um, with Erdic, Dr. Moser and his team, and trying to figure out a way to do this effectively and make a consistent uh, means of executing these three different projects and getting that done in a way that, that not only you know, gets the objectives that Congress wants, but also teaches us something about how we do future uh, infrastructure construction. Those three projects are, are really important. And the, the project that the Army has chosen is Joint Base Lewis McCord. It's a, it's a barracks project. Um, Kathleen, I think you have a lot more information on that. Do you want to talk about the basics of what that project is? And then maybe Robert can, can add a little bit of flavor on, on uh, the types of materials that we've been considering. Sure, thanks. So this barracks is will house 168 soldiers in a three-story barracks. Uh, we'll be designing these in accordance with our standard criteria, which is unified facility criteria meeting lead silver. Uh, the building is designed to be consistent with the installation design guide. Uh, so it'll be exterior brick masonry with metal panels and the exterior wall construction is light gauge steel stud framing. One thing I do want to highlight, I think is really key. This project is also being designed by an in-house team. So this is a great opportunity for our engineers and architects who are excited about the opportunity to be on the leading edge of sustainable design, to learn uh, working with Erdic on what ways they at that level can start incorporating things and influencing future design criteria. So the project is doing really well where the team has just picked up the 65% design and we are on track for an award in December 2024. And so what's going into the project, and this includes the Army project, but as Chris said, similar drivers across the other services, is we're looking at ways that we could go in and in uh, within these projects themselves, what can we modernize, what, what can we adapt to get at some of these sustainability requirements? And so, of course, we've had longstanding sustainability goals in the Department of the Army and across the services for high performance and sustainable buildings that have really leaned in on reducing energy requirements and, and building envelopes and all of the things that can advance sustainability and reduce emissions. And so what these projects are really focused on is the next step in that process, which is looking at the actual materials that go in to build those projects. And can we reduce the emissions associated with those? And those are typically called uh, referred to as things like embodied carbon or carbon footprint. And much of those, uh, that carbon footprint is actually coming from the manufacturing processes, the sourcing, the transportation and construction operations as those materials are manufactured and go into an infrastructure project. So that's kind of a unique thing that we have not really tackled, at least explicitly, across either our military or, or civil portfolio in the past. And so when you look across the Department of Defense, you think most of our emissions are fuel. Right. But when we think about uh, infrastructure projects and facilities, a lot of that comes from things like concrete and steel, right? And so that, that's what we're focused on in these projects. We use a lot of concrete in the DOD, a lot of it in the Corps of Engineers. And surprisingly, concrete is, and particularly the cement used to produce concrete, uh, is one of the largest emitters in the industrial sector that we have uh, of carbon. Um, that's not necessarily because it's an extremely dirty material, but it comes from that we use so much concrete, right? Behind uh, water, cement is the most used material in the world, right? And so these are big stats. 
And so, you know, anything we can do that can make incremental improvements in things like emissions associated with manufacturing of cement and production of concrete um, have, have a big impact. So that's, you know, just one example of the things we're trying to integrate into these projects. So in the Army project, we're using a, what we'll call a low carbon concrete. It's going to use some high Portland limestone cement, low emissions cement chemistry. That's the binder uh, that goes into the concrete. We kind of call it what flour is to fruitcake, that's what cement is to concrete, right? And so if we can use more sustainable components that are the main binding component in our concrete, uh, that helps us. We're also promoting ways that we can actually just reduce the cement loading in, in that concrete. That's the biggest emitter that we typically have is the cement itself. And really expanding, opening the aperture on using alternative or byproduct materials. Most of those are recycled byproducts um, with lower emissions that would typically be landfilled We've used those for a long time in the Corps of Engineers, but typically have some historical limits that we think we can kind of push the envelope on a little bit as well. Um, and so we're excited there in these projects. We envision we're going to be able to reduce probably 30 to 40 percent the emissions um, of what we would have typically sourced for a project like that by adapting our specifications, by doing some things that are more sustainability-centric. And also looking at when, when you compare across the industry, what are targets for what sustainable concrete would look like today, trying to beat those by probably 15 to 20%. And so we'll see as we continue to deliver the project how, how that works out. Um, that's one of the biggest components of this. Another component of the Army project is steel. Steel is another high emissions material, mainly from the energy that goes into manufacturing. And so we're having high recycled content requirements for the steel. Also looking at you know, upstream of the material itself, using manufacturers that use renewable energy, use electrified sources for manufacturing in their, in their furnaces, in their factories. And so it's, it's a largely emissions associated with that that we're trying to wrap our, tighten, uh, tighten up on, I guess, with a focus on sustainability and then promoting the use of more recycled materials and making that steel. There's also some adjustments going into design of the project itself to minimize waste or alter architectural systems that allow us to lessen the use of more high-emitting materials such as masonry products. And they're even getting down into the details of things like insulation and, and other building envelope systems in the project itself, where we can reduce emissions associated with that material, but also reduce operational emissions by optimizing the energy performance of the building structure. And this is the great value that Erdic brings to the Seattle district as they try to execute a project like this. You know, Erdic, Erdic comes forward with a lot of knowledge and a lot of research and development, understanding of what types of materials are out there and what might be, you know, mature enough to use for these buildings. So the Seattle district really benefits from that partnership because they can leverage that knowledge that, you know, Robert and his team have gained over the years. And then what what needs to happen after that, that'll, that'll give us a great project, you know, really, you know, interesting outcomes. What needs to happen next is we need to take those lessons and embed them back into our unified facilities criteria. So we've got a sustainability discipline working group. It's a tri-service working group, Army, Navy, Air Force, that's uh, working in partnership with them, that's, that's watching this project and, and taking the lessons learned from it so that they can go back to the criteria and go, okay, this was a great idea. Let's embed that so that it happens in all of our projects. Or, hey, this didn't work out very well. Let's make sure we write the criteria in such a way that it prohibits, you know, this particular you know, practice from happening or this material from happening because of the ill effects that it might have had. So that way we can take those lessons and really tweak our criteria to deliver better infrastructure not only for this project but for all future projects. And that's really the end state here that 
that we're so interested in achieving. And I think to a researcher down here in the laboratory, it's it's been uh, cool to work with this team because oftentimes we see that type of technology lifecycle over a long period of time, right? We we do our research in the laboratory and maybe we publish some papers and eventually somebody reads them and maybe adopts them into a criteria update and then that goes into a project. But what's been really fun and about this project is we're all working together. So we've got the district team implementing this into the project. We've got the headquarters team looking at policy and criteria and specifications. And we've got our researcher team trying to uh, bring these new technologies onto the table and we're all working together kind of in real time. So. That's been pretty exciting to, to me and our team uh, here in the research community as well. No, and I'll also comment that the way we originally brought this, this, this was not our actual original idea, it was the Air Force uh, came to this headquarters and said, hey, this is in the NDAA and we would like help from ERDIC. We believe they're important to the success of this pilot. So that was the generation of bringing together the three services on having a common approach to how we would approach the pilots, work with each other and support all of the team. So, and it's interesting because we have three different pilots, three very different types of facilities in three different parts of the country. So it is a really exciting and interesting process to go through, to go from flash to bang really quickly, as Robert said, versus the longer process of of studying and prototyping and incorporating. And we're serious about partnering. We've been meeting on a weekly basis for you know, more than a year since this first you know, came up to us. And not only are we partnering on this project, but it looks like we're gonna have other pilot projects that are similar and we're exploring ways that we can partner in the same way on those pilot projects as well. And so I think Aaron, that's, you know, that's partnering we're doing in the DOD across the services. At a more strategic level, we're trying to take this narrative and philosophy as we work across the whole federal government. And so working through OSD and the uh, administration's BiClean Task Force and different working groups there, you know, how is every agency approaching this? What can we leverage from those other agencies to integrate into what we're doing? One thing I think is unique about what we're doing is, you know, many agencies are, they're focused on policy and, and research we're putting projects in the ground. And so I think the administration's excited to see what, you know, what's gonna come out of our work uh, as well as we really start to implement some of these things. Yeah, this is fantastic. It's really exciting to, has to be, to, to be able to see something that come from concept to kind of a, a large scale deployment, you know, when you're looking at leveraging the economy of scale of DOD, and then to really even take the next step to get it to the federal government, but even more so like through industry and mainstream. So I could see like, you know, low carbon concrete, you know, becoming a, a mainstream thing that is could have been developed in Erdic. And I feel like growing up, I always heard like all these inventions that were done because of the military that make our lives easier today. And it just seems like you guys are the future of that. So when our kids get out there, we can be like, hey, these buildings are more efficient because of this. This infrastructure is more efficient because, you know, these folks are on the ground today find it really interesting and it's got to be very fulfilling it makes me kind of curious like how can we get our workforce to enable or adopt this a little bit better and really for me i come from the civil work side so i'm thinking like yeah if, if somebody's listening to this podcast and the listeners like hey i got this project that's got a lot of concrete and steel i think we could maybe try to make this work what what should they be doing or how can they incorporate this into some of the projects that they're working on today yeah, I'll take that one. It's, it's an interesting question on how do we get our workforce engaged in this. 
the first thing I would say is that a lot of people are already really engaged in this, you know, especially like new, new engineers, new architects that are coming in. Climate change is sort of on the tip of their tongue already when they walk into the workforce. They're very excited about, you know, doing this and doing this kind of work. But one of the things, we, we do several things, I think, that support them and, you know, and that growth and making sure that they understand the value and what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, but a, a few things we're doing is one is we're tracking certifications, not only professional licensure certifications, but we're also tracking uh, lead certifications of, of, our, of our workforce. And we're promoting those things by giving them training so that they can go out and get those certifications and improve themselves professionally. Another thing that we're doing is we have a USACE Learning Center, uh, which produces a series of, of courses. It's almost like a you know, university unique to the Corps of Engineers. Uh, one of those courses that we have is they're all called Prospect Courses, and it's Prospect 244. It's really our sustainability course that, that anyone in the Corps of Engineers or really anybody else can take. It gives them all kinds of important training on uh, different policies that we have, the different uh, unified facilities criteria requirements, low impact development, um, incorporating high performance and sustainable buildings policy in their planning charrettes uh, and design work. So they're able to get that formal training from that organization. And then um, something else that we did that we actually learned a lesson in, during COVID was we, we weren't able to give that course in person. So what we did was we made it available as a webinar. We broke the course up into multiple part series and then gave it virtually in a webinar format. And that really expanded uh, what we were able to do with that course. So instead of people having to come to a place and sit there for a week and learn something, they could attend this thing virtually as able and anybody who wasn't able to travel, which was basically everyone at the time, but now even so, they're not able to travel so they can just attend this webinar virtually and still get you know very much the same content that they would get otherwise in a formal training session it was so popular during covid and so successful that we were able to, that we did it again and we just started doing it for the third time and this time around we're recording everything so that not only can people pick it up virtually in you know on the time that it's available to them but they can also do it asynchronously they can download that content whenever they want. If they miss a session, they can come back and download that session and pick right up where they were. So it's been a really important thing for us to, you know, sort of modernize and, and COVID helped with us, you know, helped us really do that um, and, and deliver that training to our workforce in a more accessible way. I think the other component, you know, when you look across different technologies that we're advancing and integrating into these projects and uh, modernized guidance and, and specifications, some of it is, is more incremental in nature, right? Like we're not trying to radically change the way we design a structure or radically change the way a barracks looks like, right? But some of them are more disruptive, right? And so I think when you look along the technology life cycle and you know, what are we gonna do in the next few years, what are we gonna do in five years, 10 years plus, right? We're trying to do things that don't totally upset the apple cart and we can implement and have impact in the near term, right? So what are those? the low-hanging fruit that we can get after. Uh, one of the things that we're looking at and, and likely implementing it in some pilot projects starting in FY25 is looking at alternative materials like mass timber as opposed to something like concrete. We have engineers across the entire Corps of Engineers that know tons about designing with steel and concrete and structures, right? We've, we've got structures from the 1800s still standing in the civil portfolio made out of concrete. When we go into mass timber, we, we don't have a lot of experts in, in technologies like that. And so what do we have to do to train our workforce, 
to understand and build the kind of you know building codes and design equations the, the same way that our engineers learn in school for other classes of materials and so you know I think long uh, longer term we'll see other more disruptive technologies I think come into the fold you just got to be careful about how you roll those things out because we do need a workforce that's ready to go and hit the ground running because at the same time as we're doing these initiatives, the administration is asking us to deliver more for the nation. And so we've got to deliver impactful products for what the nation needs as we continue to innovate and implement new technology. And I'm particularly sensitive to this one because it's absolutely true that we want to do things in a more sustainable way. We also have to deliver the requirements that the military has. And that's really the, the first and most important thing is that the mission must be accomplished by what we do. The Army Climate Strategy lays that out really well and makes that very clear that our goal is to prepare, fight, and win for the next war and do so sustainably. It's both goals, but we, we can't sacrifice the mission to doing this. So we really have to figure out ways to do both. And when we look at things like mass timber, incorporating that into our structures, it still has to be seismically safe. It still has to resist mold. It still has to be you know, protected from, from fires, right? We still have to do all the things that we do with concrete, maybe easier with concrete, but we just have to think through how do we do all of those other things that are required from a building and, and do it also in a sustainable way and accomplish both missions at the same time. This has been fantastic. Really interested in hearing from you all about, you know, what you're doing towards innovation, uh, really how this can apply to not only the military mission, but civil works as well. So um, I just really want to thank you all for being here today, for joining us for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. All right, that's it. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil work together.